Let me ask. Uh, this is a, a discussion about mid-levels or with mid-levels, and I'm wondering how many people are PAs? How many people are nurse practitioners? How many people uh, want to be one of those? Uh, how many people are doctors? They want to figure out what we do. <laughs> no, all right. And I see there's one spy from our mission organization back there. So okay. <laughs> what? Oh, I'm sorry. How many midwives? Good. How many uh, nurse anesthetists? How many PTs? Physical therapists. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Very different. Physical uh, of the therapies. Physical, occupational, uh, speech, developmental, pet therapy. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Well, um, we can go in a variety of directions. Uh, for those, well, for any of you, how many have been on any mission uh, team so far? Okay. How many are, are in a career path for missions? Okay. How many are thinking about a career path for missions? Okay. How many couldn't find a better uh, uh, <laughs> class to attend? Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm John Sexton, and I'm a family nurse practitioner of 19 years. And uh, we're under Mission to the World, which is the Presbyterian Church of America Mission Board. And we started off, oh, this is my wife, Elizabeth, who's a registered nurse. Uh, I was telling somebody that I went to Emory University to interview uh, as a second degree for the nursing program. It was kind of my backup. And I met her. <laughs> And we hung out for a few days, and I was like, going back to Indiana, I was like, well, Lord, you know, uh, why do I really want to go there now? <laughs> and uh, uh, it was a private school, and I said, well, Lord, you, if you want me to be there, you need to provide um, financial aid. Well, it turned out I got a minority, minority student scholarship for the nursing program, so uh, I got educated, and I got married. <laughs> okay? We've been married, what, 27 years now, and we have two children. Um, but right now, we've been with Mission to the World a total of 18 years. Uh, we started off two years after we got married on loan to Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, training village health workers out in the jungle of Peru. We came back and did a seminary, uh, got a master's in nursing and community health, nurse practitioner, worked, and then we went down to the border of Mexico, uh, actually the border to the U.S. because we were in Mexico, and they asked us to develop community development as part of church planning. And they said, you know, and I said, well, develop any area of education, and you're going to improve uh, health, you improve the economy, you're going to improve health, so it's all really interrelated. And then we got asked to go for two years with Equip International that I'll mention a little bit later. They're represented here, uh, downstairs in the mix, uh, to do training of uh, missionaries to do medical work overseas. And they asked us to come for two years and help develop some programs and courses. And at the end of the two years, our mission board, the PCA that we've always been along with, uh, Mission to the World, uh, developed a medical department, and uh, at Equip one day I saw this uh, older, distinguished gentleman hanging outside of the class when he should have been inside, and I started talking to him, and he wound up to be the medical director for our 
mission board, and we started talking, and uh, he was cutting class and wanted something to do, so we talked for a while, and uh, we came on with him. For the last eight years now, we've been doing a variety of things of going and doing assessment for new missionaries, going to the field of what are the, the physical needs and the needs of the people and how to incorporate them into uh, the church planning or the theological education or whatever the ministry is, spiritual ministry. Uh, we also do training of nationals. That's where we spend most of our time now. Uh, and I'll get into some of that later. A uh, number of countries, Peru, uh, Cambodia, I didn't do the training this time, helped set something up. Bangladesh, two places, uh, Myanmar, a bunch of other, you know, several other places. We also lead medical teams and, disaster, uh, and go on disasters when we have time. And we also train medical missionaries with equip still, which we'll mention again later. Okay, so that's where I'm coming from. But what I'd really like to hear is kind of where you've been and your experiences, uh, possibly before being a mid-level and, or after being a mid-level. Uh, why don't we just open that up? Now, I think I counted about 18 hands a minute ago, so uh, were they good experiences? Start off that way. All right, go ahead. I can start. All right. I've been uh, 46 years with the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. I'm a physical therapist and uh, work with people with disabilities. My title now is International Director for the Table. And uh, for 31 years, we established a, better, a rehabilitation center for disabled at Memorial Christian Hospital in Cox Bazaar. And God used that to bring many disabled men who had uh, used his diaper foot artificial limb, made it out of local material in Bangladesh, totally out of what's available there, for $40. And we uh, have had 15 artificial limb camps where we give out these legs to amputees, and it opens doors, it, opens, it plants churches, it does some great things for God. Okay. And uh, it's a ministry for disabled. Okay. And uh, a very rare thing. <laughs> but uh, it, as, of na- as of 1998 until now, I'm international director for ministry to disabled. The work that we started in Bangladesh is now run by national Christians and national physical therapists and physical therapy assistants and aides. And uh, so that, so I don't need to be there full time. But I go there short term. Okay. And I travel with a medical team in other places. Where, and when we uh, travel to about 12 uh, countries, uh, we, uh, the doctors men that I've been. Oh, that's a physical therapist job. Okay. And okay. How about others? Uh, have you had any resist? Have they been positive experiences being a mid-level, uh, going to different countries? Okay, good. Anyone else want to share some? Uh, yes. I'm a PA and okay. I found it really, and the mischief I've been on were very well received. I mean, you have to explain what a PA is. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but I, I found that we're, you know, wondrous, make 
Okay. So for those listening on the disc who can't hear any of you, we've got a physical therapist, a PA, a nurse practitioner working from Bangladesh, El Salvador, various places around Central America. Anyone else? Yes. any career people? There were a few career people. Uh, can you share a little bit about what you're doing wherever you're working? Nope. Okay. Uh, has anybody? <laughs> sure, nobody? Yes, please. Career meaning people who just aren't going on short-term teams that live in a country. Yes. Who's kind of long term? Yes, way back here. As a registered nurse, as a nurse, you probably in other countries are doing more than what we think of nurses here. Is that right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That's about right, yeah. It's amazing what kind of jobs you get once you arrive somewhere. Uh, I became the veterinarian because I worked with vets pre in my previous uh, career, and uh, so I got to take care of all the animals, too. So. Anyone else? One more. Yes. Yeah, I'm Dan. I'm a 
Here's my hero here. Uh, that's great. Um, you know, and much of what I'm going to say is exactly that about training others. So, yes. John, uh, it's, it's my understanding though that many countries do not recognize mid levels. Yeah. Any time you go in, you have to take a position with you, and that's impeded a lot of, yeah. of people going in. Is that correct or incorrect? Um, I, I'm going to get into a little bit of that later. Uh, it is. True to different degrees, in, in preparation for this talk, I called up about 20 different mission boards, asked them their experience. And for the people who want to be career doing medical work as their primary work, uh, it's been an issue, uh, especially for PAs, evidently, because they don't know what to They've never heard of a PA. A nurse practitioner, well, they got nurses. They, you know, uh, short-term it depends upon the mission organization who want to be totally up above board or the ones that say, for two weeks, who's going to notice, okay? And in which case, it's, it's a lot easier. So that's one of the things, of the drawbacks. Uh, as we talk about, you know, do you want to go physician route or do you want to go mid-level route, is a physician usually gets in anywhere. And, uh, you know, for career, that that's kind of important. Uh, so that is one of the things, and that has been changing over the last 10 years. It used to be, boy, they'll take anybody, and now they're getting pretty fussy about things. Okay, so check out where you want to go. Check out who you want to go with. That's kind of the bottom line. So I'm glad you brought that up because we'll bring it up again. Yeah. John, yeah. Jamaica doesn't recognize DOs. Say that again. Jamaica does not recognize DOs. DOs, oh, okay. Doctor of Osteopathy. Okay, Jamaica. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, Belize uh, used to take nurse practitioners. I was licensed down there. But then they started, well, I don't know, maybe we ought to, you know, they changed that. PAs, they didn't know what to do, physical therapists, dental hygienists. Uh, Belize doesn't have schools for any of these, so therefore they don't recognize it. And that, that does become an issue. Yeah. Okay. A physical therapists are required to have a doctorate to get into the PT, PT practice now, so they can go as yeah. a doctor. Okay. <laughs> Just what kind of doctor are you? <laughs> okay, nurse practitioners are moving towards a doctorate also, a doctor yeah. of nurse practice, I believe. So you, can, so. you can go as a doctor. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. If there's anybody here who's a PT with some experience, they're very desperate in Central Asia for okay. a PT who will train the local people. In fact, they need two. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to just kind of work through this, and it's open, you know, for discussion. If it's going too long, it's getting near six. I'll wave you off or something. But let's do this to uh, encourage those who are in career, encouraging others, those with you know such experience as Dr. Fontaine. You know, uh, try and decide. Nurse practitioner, PA, that's probably more of a discussion with individuals if you're still in school, uh, et cetera. This is kind of an open forum, and uh, do we have dinner after this? Yeah. That if people would like to hang out, you know, grab their food, I think it's box lunches, and hang out in the hallway out here uh, to discuss it more, welcome to do that, okay? Okay. Uh, the, the title of this uh, talk, which I had to come up with a year ago, and I've changed it since then, but, you know, it's kind of the future of medical missions. And before you get into the future, I think it's good to know a little bit about the past. Uh, 1498 was kind of the first rising of any type of health ministry uh, in missions. Uh, the Misericordia, uh, Sir Pobres Enfermos, you know, meaning the poor people, uh, the the old, you know, the old, the mentally handicapped and all, uh, they were cared for, but they were not allowed to do any medical work. No medicines were allowed or surgery or anything like that. It was simply just really just caring for them. Uh, and then many denominations at that time, as they began to go further out into missions, uh, many of them actually forbade their missionaries to do any type of medical work. Uh, it was just politically charged as it is today and other issues going on there. Uh, then things began to change. You know, we have uh, David Livingston here, probably the most well-known uh, person around the world as a medical missionary. Historically, the doctors were it. And the doctors, for many organizations, went not to take care of the people that the missionaries were serving, but to take care of the missionaries. Uh, the life uh, expectancy of missionaries to uh, Central Africa at the turn into the uh, 20th century was about six months because they died of so many uh, infections and diseases. So they sent doctors along to care for the missionaries. Also, uh, different uh, companies from uh, England paid for these medical missionaries to come to take care of them, their people. So they really didn't get too much into the medical missionary uh, work with the people that they wanted to serve until later on. Uh, and then when they did begin uh, caring for the people uh, that the missionaries were going towards, you know, people from Africa, Asia, wherever, uh, hospitals and clinics uh, were the kind of the main way of doing it. Uh, that's the way they desired to do it. And they didn't have mid-level providers back then. Uh, I think if they did, we wouldn't have the mess we have now, you know, because I think mid-levels are great, and we should, we should take more initiative in missions. Okay, 19th century, medical missionary work concentrated in mission hospitals. Okay, they tried to create a medical institution just like the one they came from in the United States or Europe. 
Okay, and it really didn't work that well, but they really put all their effort into it. Medical missionaries focused also on surgery. Uh, the flip side of that is back in the early 19th century, there weren't that many medicines. You know, there was morphine, there was, uh, you know, a variety of, you know, osteopathic medicines, but, you know, certainly we didn't have any antibiotics, hypertensives, nor did they have hypertension back then either, so... <laughs> Uh, so medical really wasn't it. Uh, doctors always had knives, though. So that they focused in on surgery. And medical mission work uh, was directly related to the uh, efficiency and quality of the mission hospital. They had a really good hospital. They had a good ministry. Uh, somehow they were connected in there. Uh, the sentiment back during the 19th century was without a hospital, they thought that there would be uh, no permanent work could be done. So hospitals were really, really a strong goal for missions back then. All right. Uh, evaluating, you know, from the uh, 1920s, 80% of mission hospitals had one or less foreign trained physicians, meaning American or European. 34% no nurses. Uh, 37% had bed linen, 8% had safe drinking water source, okay? 50% uh, of patients never bathed or washed, 31% uh, no delivery room, 87% no x-ray equipment, 72% uh, no pathology labs uh, for the surgeons. Uh, so you can see that they were pretty rustic back then, and uh, they, did, they did begin to really improve. 1925 was peak for uh, medical mission hospitals. I'm just giving background and like for people to talk about uh, what we're going to do in a minute. 10% of the missionary force were medical. That's pretty significant. Uh, anybody know what it is today? That's something I wanted to Google, but I didn't get around to. 10% uh, is pretty high, uh, especially for back then. 1,000 physicians, 1,000 nurses, 5,000 indigenous co-workers, meaning, you know, people from, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, people that they have trained there wherever they were serving. Two and a half million people seen in hospitals or dispensaries in 1925. That's a lot of people. Eleven times more contacts with non-believers through these clinics and hospitals than through regular mission work. Okay, so you can see the value that it brought. The lessons that we learned from this model of having building uh, medical or you know missionary hospitals, built around the surgical model, uh, not necessarily the best model, and quite honestly, for the first century, they never tried anything else. It was always that's the way it was going to be done, and that's the way they did it. It was poorly staffed both by professionals and also, you know, support people uh, from the areas where they worked. Poorly equipped, as you can see, very few had lab or x-rays or anything like that. Uh, and uh, uh, the models for the medical missions, yeah, really didn't work out that well, quite honestly. Uh, the theological issues never were resolved. There was constant tension between the pastors, the church planners, the seminarians, and what I call the do-gooders, you know, the doctors, the nurses, those who were seeking to minister to the physical needs. Uh, and quite honestly, that's the way it is today, too. 
so expect that. Uh, think about what organization you'd like to go with. Uh, when we went with Wycliffe, we knew Wycliffe was a Bible translation organization. That's what they did. The only reason they asked us to train health workers was so that the missionaries could get on with the translation and not be bothered by all the medical needs. Okay? So when our budgets were a lot lower than literacy and others, I was like, hey, thank you for what you did give us. But somebody we worked with uh, struggled constantly why we were not budgeted higher. And I was like, well, that's because we're Bible translators. You know, this is a secondary ministry. So consider whether you want to be really doing a lot of mission, uh, medical mission work. If you do, be sure you're going with somebody who is saying, yeah, that's our thrust, or that is, you know, tied way up at the top, and we put a lot into that. Uh, HCJB is a radio ministry, but they really do rely on and they support heavily the two hospitals they have in Ecuador. Now, I talked to somebody from HCJB, and I said, are you going to build any more hospitals? Because they're in other countries, and she said, absolutely, positively, no. Okay, we will not ever do that again. We're glad we did, but we won't do it again. Things have changed, which we'll get into in a little bit. Okay, uh, minimum spiritual impact for the effort in dollars, quite honestly. Two and a half million people seen, 11 times more contacts with non-believers, but the conversions, the discipleship, the, um, you know, the growth of the church did not really reach the... Um, the levels that the mission boards uh, were expecting. So you can see again the tension in there. And medicine only gets more expensive. So you can see the, the struggles there. Any comments or any knowledge about any other area of the history that uh, would be beneficial for everybody? I got this from somebody else, actually. So uh, anybody? Okay. Yeah. into the country. Yeah. And the mission hospitals have been the way in which uh, churches have been planted, have been mm-hmm. centers for from which people get Bible training and go out to church. Yeah, yeah. So they are benefit that way. Yeah, they are. They, they are. They're absolutely. And, and it, it's difficult for people to say, okay, look at the numbers and say, wait a minute. If we weren't here, what would have occurred? Yeah. Uh, we talked when we were in seminary with African Inland Mission. And uh, he said, oh, we'd love to have you come because we want to work you about 20 hours a day so that our pastors can stay in the country. You know, the more you put out, the more we can do. I said, well, I'd like to be part of church planners. And he said, no, 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 we got pastors for that. We want you to just keep us here. So, yeah, and, and that's part of the model that has been coming along here. Okay? Okay, where are we now? Here's... HEJB, a beautiful hospital there in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, it's interesting, when the president was shot, uh, the president of Ecuador, oh, numerous years ago, and they were taking him to the hospital, they said, which, which Ecuadorian hospital do you want to go to? Because that will really make it famous. He says, take me to HEJB, I want to live. And they took him to the American, or the missionary hospital, which was a, a big political uh, to-do, but he wanted to go where the best care was. 
Okay, missionary organizations across the board are saying that they are no longer building or wanting to build or to support large projects such as hospitals. Of all the ones that I interviewed and asked them if they knew anybody, if they knew anybody, only one organization was building hospitals in Africa, and it was an orthopedic uh, for orthopedic surgeons because of the uh, crippling problems, they are the problems with the crippled people, the polio, the injuries, etc. And it was a very specific, not a general hospital, orthopedic. Okay, So they're saying, no, we don't really want to do that anymore for a number of reasons. Uh, one is the cost, more than finances, of large missions projects. Uh, instability of governments. You know, even the most stable governments switch. You know, a new president comes in, we don't like, you know, outsiders. We don't like Christians in here. We don't like missionaries or whatever. So they kick them all out, and they get voted out five years later, and the guy says, hey, we kind of like you. Come on back, and it's kind of in and out. And if you're going to build million-dollar structures and invest huge amounts of money and personnel and everything, just to have them kicked out, you know, any time, you know, they're, they're shy to do that. Uh, second thing, the higher cost with the dollar. And it's just not because of our economy these few years, but in general, just the costs are going up higher and higher. Difficulty staffing, uh, both with missionaries, medical missionaries, and also nationals. Very difficult uh, to staff. And not only hospitals, but also standing clinics. We have uh, Mission to the World has a, a clinic down in Belize that was providing medical care for a very large area there. And we had one doctor there. But every time he had to leave, they had to replace him. So I'd go down. I'd take over for him. You know, if he had to go to a conference. And uh, PA went down and took over for him for a year when he went on furlough. But, you know, he, he resigned that uh, just this past summer. And now they don't have a doctor or any health care giver there except for nurses. And uh, the nurses don't want to be doctors there. So suddenly we have a clinic that hundreds of people have relied upon, but suddenly they can't get the health care there. If anybody would like to go down for a week or two, let me know. Okay, we'll open the doors again for you. Uh, missionary fields uh, have more, uh, or the people living in the areas where we're serving have more and more choices. There, even though it may not be the greatest care, there is more and more health care available for people even in rural areas. So again, the absolute necessity of providing medical care is not as great as it was 50 years ago. Uh, emphasis in missions is more church planning and teaching by, uh, what's that, teaching by education by distance? Theological education, right, okay. Uh, and less with the, you know, the medical and the health aspects. At least the big thrust of it. They may, a lot of them are still interested in being part of it, but not in such a way of providing a, a, a building with clinics and uh, a hospital and things like that. Uh, have people heard of other reasons also? This is what I was getting from the mission agencies that I call. Anybody have any other experiences that uh, you can add to it? Okay. Okay. New paradigm in uh, missions. 
Missionary organizations are desiring to train nationals now. They want to do it in evangelism, church planning, Bible translation, mercy ministries, and also health and medical ministries. Uh, total change. Again, they're realizing we may only have a few years here. What will be our, our best effort? Our, how can we make the biggest change in just a few years? So they're saying, let's be training rather than starting churches ourselves and then eventually trying to get uh, nationals to take over the work. Let's just have them start from the very beginning. Okay? Uh, by the way, I am getting to the area of mid-levels in a little bit, okay, if you bear with me, all right? <laughs> okay, some of you are looking, wondering whether you're in the right room. Yes, you are. Okay? New paradigm in medical missions is occurring also. Short-term health and medical teams are increasing and being requested more and more uh, for many reasons. Uh, in our organization, some of them are what we call a wedge ministry, where they would never allow you know, a Christian organization to come in or missionary something. We'll take the medical people, bring it in, and just through relationships and things like that, even on short-term teams, uh, greater and greater number of requests uh, and greater and greater number of people interested in doing it also. Training of national and lay health workers. That's what they're really looking to do, uh, many of them. Rather than bringing in new medical doctors from the U.S. and nurses, physical therapists, can we be training people there? Uh, just as Dr. Fontana uh, mentioned before. And a greater emphasis on prevention versus curative care. You know, no longer do we want to wait until they need to have surgery and need a hospital for that. Can we prevent it? Can we, you know, help them to live better so that they don't get uh, uh, sick as Americans get sick with hypertension, cancer, and everything else? So even mission boards are really looking to change their shift on what they desire to do in medical missions and health missions. Any other, anyone else want to add to some of the changes that we've been seeing over the last 20 years or so? From your own experience, from knowing other missionaries or reading or anything else? Okay. Yeah, bringing in uh, people, maybe not to take the jobs, but to train. Uh, Elizabeth, my wife, last year was talking to the Christian Nursing Association, right? And they were saying what is most needed is nursing instructors overseas because they're really desiring to build up their own system. And you're no longer a threat. You're a guest of the government to come in. Okay, so yeah, good. Okay, what about mid-levels? We're, we're, we're here now, okay? Uh New healthcare workers have arrived over the last 50 years. We have nurse practitioners. You notice I put them first. Uh, physician assistants. When people ask me, I, I got to tell you this. When people say, "What's the difference between a nurse practitioner and a physician assistant?" It's well, in North Carolina, they're the same, except nurse practitioners are better. Okay, so <laughs> we'll argue that later. All right. Uh, nurse midwives, nurse anesthetists, but also therapists. As we had mentioned, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, vocational therapy, pet therapy, there's all different types. Uh, you know, they, no longer are we looking for the surgeon. We're looking for a wider 
uh, you know, uh, health care system or providing a wider health care for the people. And there's less need of having a physician, uh, essentially, with all these extra people here. All right? So all of a sudden, mid-levels, I think, are being, being uh, um, uh, desired by a lot of mission boards to come in and help. We're going to compare mid-levels versus physicians in some areas. Now, I'm talking about if you take a, a thousand mid-levels and a thousand physicians, you know, who's going to have more in one area? You know, certainly Dr. Fontaine, who has been training people for, you know, 30 years in Africa of mid-levels, uh, you know, and community health workers and things, he's a pioneer in this area. So just in general, taking a thousand of each, Okay. <coughs> Training is usually only three years for mid-level, okay? And that's significant when you're talking about, you know, wanting to be a missionary. That can have a great effect because after seven-plus years, you know, go through your residency, and if you specialize after that or a fellowship or something, these years add up. And being on mission boards, you know, or not mission boards, missions committee of churches, we've seen... You know, people come through and friends from seminary who prepared, 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 and then never quite got to the, you know, got into career missions because of other things that occurred during those seven to ten years of preparation. They get married and their spouse all of a sudden is like, I'm not going to live, I, I have no desire to live overseas. Or they say, well, let me practice for a while, and they develop a, a, a practice which all of a sudden, they're responsible for a whole number of employees, and they feel that very uncomfortable about leaving. Or their children are older, and they need to be in, you know, they're in high school now. There's a lot of things that can occur during that period of time. Uh, one advantage, whoop, uh, often just as fully competent for the needs uh, in many areas. That doesn't mean they can handle all of it, but... You know, sometimes just having, uh, you know, a couple of internal medicine doctors, you know, come through each year to help them to tune up the patients they're caring for, uh, you know, they're pretty much um, trained and able to handle the needs uh, that we find in different mission fields, okay? And truth is, uh, mid-levels tend to stay longer in missions and positions uh, for a number of different reasons. So I'm encouraging, if you're considering, you know, uh, medical missions and you haven't made a decision yet, mid-levels, please consider. Now, if you want to be a surgeon, please be a surgeon. Don't, you know, say, well, I'm going to practice being a surgeon, you know, <laughs> once nobody's there to sue me or something. No, uh, if, if the Lord's leading you to something special, follow that. I'm just saying, you know, please open up, you know, the possibilities here. Okay, in training community health workers, CHWs, often the mid-levels tend to relate better. Uh, When they talk, when they're teaching, you know, after so many years of med school, residency and things like that, uh, again, you take, you know, 100 physicians, they have a harder time explaining things simply enough for somebody who may not have any health background, may not even have schooling background. Uh, Elizabeth and I were training people who were, didn't speak Spanish, but we were teaching them in Spanish. They didn't read any language. You know, and we were training them t- to give health care in their villages. Okay? Really needs to be weighed down 
on the level. And I think mid-levels, for a variety of reasons, tend to be able to do that a little bit better. And I think this, is, this training of uh, health workers is going to be a really big thrust of missions for decades to come. Often, just as somebody has said, you know, for a physician, if, if, you're, oh, if you own your own practice and you've got, you know, nurses, you know, that you've hired and, you know, all these extra people, it's hard for you to take off a week, isn't it? Or two weeks or a month. Well, mid-levels tend to not own their practice and their employees, highly, you know, uh, desired employees and great employees, but they tend to be able to get off work easier. Uh, uh, the fellow who took, all, took over our work in Belize for a year, actually he wound up staying three years, uh, he was able to leave that job and then come back and get another job. Well, physicians, it's a lot, lot more difficult, isn't it? Uh, especially if you have high debt, which we're going to mention here. Uh, often you have lower debt after schooling for mid-levels. Okay, physicians right now, they're averaging two hundred to $300,000 in debt after school. Mission boards don't want you raising support to pay off debt like that. Okay, so often they have to wait years to be able to pay off their debt. Mid-levels, because it's three years, uh, and they can get into a public uh, university. You know, it can be really low. Uh, we finished up, gosh, I've got two undergraduate and three graduate degrees, and all debt-free, uh, just because the costs were so much lower. Um, here's a little graph that I found that, uh, based upon 2003 and 2007 debt that uh, medical students are running up, uh, by 2033 or even, well, let's say 2025, we're talking about a million-dollar debt for some people at the rate that it's going. Again, uh, you can escape so much of that debt and still be very, very effective. Uh, any comments on any of that? I'm sorry, I'm running on here. Uh, any comments on any of, anything that I'm saying here or anything you'd like to add to it? Yes. As you said, if somebody is called to be a doctor, um, Project MedSend, there is a speaker for that mm -hmm. here, uh, will help the person to yeah. keep the debt as low as possible. And then if they're really going to do career missions, they can mm -hmm. apply for uh, help to pay those off if they go right away. Yeah. So it okay. doesn't totally deter anymore. Right. But you're true. You're correct about the cost is less. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. the, and Project Medicine will help other healthcare workers also with their educational uh, debt burden. Yeah. So please keep that in mind. It's yeah. not just for doctors. Yeah. Very good. Uh, each year, I, I try each year to help lead a PA student team from Medical College of Georgia. And over the years, I've been asking, you know, people about, you know, how they're paying for schooling and everything. And uh, quite honestly, uh, the PA students, and I'm sure the nurse practitioner students also now, are running up high debt also. I encourage you to be very careful in that, okay? You find that true also, those who are in school now? Yeah. You know, the get it now type of uh, attitude, you know, uh, try to avoid that. Uh, anyway. Some mission organizations that help pay 
MedSend is one, as was yeah. mentioned here. Yeah, but that's limited. They're not going to be able to pay off a half a million dollars for you. So let's let's really consider, you know, living. If you'd like to do missions, uh, try to live in a lifestyle that is compatible to going. Okay. Now we talked about a little bit that was introduced about some of the difficulties that mid levels face, and this is something as you're considering. You know, as to which what country you might serve in, and what capacity you might serve in, um, and what mission organization you might go with. Uh, some countries do not recognize mid-levels, mid-level providers, due to medical laws. Uh, now, a lot of medical teams they get in, they get out, and nobody ever notices. But if you're really thinking about career. Um, you, you, you want to really find out, and, and find out also not only what are the laws, because half the countries of the world, they have more laws than they ever know they have, you know, and they're fine about not following them. So you find out, you know, if, if you're going to be working out in rural villages, uh, does the medical board of that country really care? They may not. Okay, so... You know, pursue it more than just Googling it. And don't assume either. So really consider that. Uh, so if you're especially thinking about long term, really consider uh, whether possibly going as a physician or training as a physician might be better just because you tend to get in easier. But, you know, check that out at submission boards uh, and what countries you're interested in. And, again, that might change in five years in either direction. Okay. Short-term medical teams. How many people have been on teams so far, short-term? Yeah, most of you. How many of the career people? Show me the career people again. Okay. How many of you did short-term before to go in career? Yeah, pretty much everybody. And that's, that's the greatest recruitment for uh, medical missions, well, for <coughs> missions in general. Uh, What's in 1981, I did my first medical missions thing to Haiti. They had an elderly doctor there, been there for 24 years on Lagunov, a little island off of Haiti. And he taught me more about missions during that time, that summer, uh, than anywhere else. And it's kind of the, the basis of ministry that I do now. It can be wonderful, wonderful situations. Uh, here are PA students with me in Kenya. And then Belize doing a wide variety of uh, care. It's wonderful. You don't have the x-rays, the labs, everybody else. It really sharpens your diagnostic skills. You know, when they, when they come back and they say, well, i got a report on you, on this person. I say, okay, go ahead. And they said, I don't know where to begin. You know, I don't have anything, you know. And I said, well, let's go back and remember, you know, taking history and physical. Let's do the physical and really think about it. Really sharpen your skills. I think they went back and became much better professionals having sharpened up their skills by these uh, short-term experiences. Yeah. One of the greatest benefits of doing it is no paperwork. Very little paperwork. Oh, you get some paperwork. I I like precepting because then I don't have to do the paperwork. (laughs) All right. Other things with short-term. By the way, there's a physical therapist here. Uh, We were on a bus going over the Andes to uh, uh, the Ashanaka villages. And Elizabeth and I used to work with these tribal people years before. She said, John, do you think I'm going to have anything to do 
And I said, I said, when I look for a team, first person I look for is a physical therapist, and second one is a dentist. Okay, and she had a greater ministry than any. It was medical students we were with. Uh, this fellow wheelbarrow man, we called him. Uh, his knees were shot. They had to carry him around in a wheelbarrow, and he was one of the elders there. And she thought, you know, rather than ten minutes with each person, you know, just trying to get through them all, she spent time with him, and over three days, assessed, exercised, and built crutches, and he walked around on the third day by himself. The whole village rejoiced. One, they didn't have to carry him anymore, <laughs> but but the other is. He was a, a respected elder, and they were delighted. Uh, it, it helped the, ch- the little church that they had there and everything else. So tremendous things can occur, even on short-term teams. Comments about short-term teams that people have had. We're here to encourage each other. Anyone? Mm-hmm. crowd control and whatever we need. We we do a lot of work in the um, refugee camps up near the Sudan border. So Great. We do a little bit of everything. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to be doing short-term teams, I encourage you to go back to where you were. They'll remember you. It'll mean so much more to them, and you'll remember them. You know, uh, it's incredible. I took my daughter, who was 13 at the time, to Belize. On a team. Next year, I went back, same place, and said, "Where's Hannah?" So, well, she didn't come. Oh, you know, people started walking away. <laughs> they loved her, and you know, so just going back, it, it 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 means the world to those people. They realized they were important enough, not only that you came once, but that you came back. Okay. Temporary staffing of clinics, uh, like in Belize. Doctors have for a month or something, can you send somebody down for a month? Uh, for a physician to take off from a practice, unless he's or she is, you know, just an employee like yourself, uh, it's very, very difficult. Uh, they leave, and that might be the license that everybody practices under, okay? So he or she cannot leave as readily as you can. Um, I just said that. There's my daughter. Uh, I guess she was 14 there. She she arranged all the medicines in the clinic. And uh, on the team, she said, Dad, what can I do? I said, well, you can be the pharmacist. And she said, oh, I don't know anything about medicines. I said, doctors in the mid-levels will tell you what they need. You just need to be able to count to 40 and know your colors. You're going to be a pharmacist. She said, okay. Well, the next day she realized there were so many kids around that she organized the kids. And it brought order to the clinic. <laughs> And she had activities for them, Bible stories, everything else. And then the kids started saying, hey, our pets need checkups. She said, bring them in. She started giving checkups to all their pets. You know, so uh, wonderful to bring. At least half the people on our team are non-medical. So encourage people in your church to come. Training national professionals. Here's Cambodia, the nursing school. Uh, I'm with another nurse practitioner here. During the Khmer Rouge, during the 70s, uh, the medical school 
and the nursing school were totally destroyed. In fact, all the schools were banned, even elementary school. Uh, of all the doctors in Cambodia, only 33 were known to survive the Khmer Rouge, and they had to begin from scratch. They have wonderful buildings, but they have nothing in them. Uh, they're, they're, the nursing library is one bookshelf. You know, uh, just our going and talking with them, we're trying to see if we can, through actually this nurse is, uh, excuse me, this doctor is actually a, a missionary there, is trying to see if we might be able to send teams there to help teach in the medical school and the nursing schools, you know, for short term. Uh, wonderful opportunities out there. Disaster and relief projects. Uh, when we have disaster teams, a lot of times it's the mid-levels who can get off to get, at, you know, to go in a week within a week's notice. Uh, just got back from the Philippines Tuesday night uh, from the flooding. That's the flood down here. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful ministry you can have there. Uh, I'd advise you get training for our organization to go on a disaster team. You have to go through disaster training, and that's to prepare you for. Uh, uh, tragedy there. But you can have wonderful ministry during that time. And mid-levels are very highly needed. Anybody have disaster experience you want to share? Yeah. Sri Lanka, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Sri Lanka, after the, uh, the tsunami, you went in and really was able to provide help for them, a continuing help too, not just the immediate, but after that too. Okay, training community health workers. Again, uh, the, the sister churches that uh, we work with, uh, especially in Asia and Africa, are asking not just for medical teams, but really people to come and train People in their villages to uh, give to give you know the care. They're the only ones providing it, um, and a lot of what they're teaching is prevention, simple drug dosing, uh, nursing skills, health teaching, variety of things like this that is perfect for mid levels and nurses, physical therapists, and others. Uh, these two young ladies, uh, Myanmar. There's a group of Christians way up in the mountains in western Myanmar that are heavily persecuted, and as long as they stay up in the mountains, they'll leave them, the government will leave them alone. Well, they have no health care there. So we tr went up there and uh, two occasions had courses up there. Second course, 10 out of the 20 people were Burmese-trained missionaries who were going out to other tribes, and same with Bangladesh. Uh, just trained a group of uh, Christians there who were, 10 out of the 25 were already trained to do uh, church planning among other tribes. Uh, physicians often have difficulty simplifying the material down to the level. So nurses, nurse practitioners, uh, PAs, and uh, um, uh, uh, nurse midwives, very highly needed for this. They can be short-term or long-term uh, opportunities. 
uh, training. Uh, I mentioned to a few of you before, we no longer have, I think, what we call open doors of ministry. We have a revolving door. Things are changing so rapidly in countries. One year you're allowed in, next year you're not. Next year you're allowed to do this, next year you're not. So the, the national churches are looking more for training in all different areas of ministry, including health. Um, oh, why, you know, the, the permanent residents, you don't, uh, Myanmar, the longest I can be there is a month, four weeks. Uh, but those people live there. Uh, they're permanent, uh, they know the language, the culture, the diet, the resources. Uh, they're perfect. They should be doing it themselves. Resources, if you're looking to do training where there is no doctor, I believe the Hesperian Society might be here, or at least you'll see these books here. They're translated in dozens of languages. It's a wonderful resource. In a short period of time, we teach them the book, how to use the book, so that when I'm gone and when the rest of us are gone, they can still have a good resource to use. Chapter per chapter, you know, they match up. Uh, so when I'm teaching from chapter 3, I know what they're reading. And it's a, a wonderful resource. Other resources, I mentioned Equip International. If you're looking to do career or a lot of medical care overseas and you want to learn more about tropical medicine skills and a variety of other things, two-week course that's taught in North Carolina. Elizabeth and I teach much of it. Uh, we also have a midwife who teaches in that and a variety of other areas. Uh, Equip International is located downstairs also. Uh, just look for them, talk with them more. Very good resource. Another resource, uh, humbly, we present ourselves, uh, John Elizabeth, okay? And that's my phone number and our email, but here at the conference, if you want to get hold of me or Elizabeth, you want to sit down with us and talk some more, there you are. Any closing comments? That's why I say closing. I'll talk to you about that. It's six, okay? Uh, anybody? Any encouragement you'd like to give to anybody? Yes. Okay, okay, there you go. Let me encourage you for, as Dr. Fontaine is leaving, uh, look to see what he is leading in the next couple of days. I encourage you to attend those sessions too. You'll really gain from them, okay? Uh, I'm available, Elizabeth's available. Uh, be glad to talk with anybody, okay? Thank you.